Hello, everybody. How you doing? Hope all is well. This is Perry Rizopoulos, and welcome back to another episode of Shot of Philosophy. And again, today, we're going to be doing some spring cleaning for the soul. I think a slightly different approach today that's going to lean more on the side of talking about cultivating a virtue. I do think that the virtue we're cultivating can solve a lot of different pathologies, a lot of different ailments. And the question that sort of got me thinking about this today that I think connects to the spring cleaning aspect and also the virtue cultivation is how can we become more resilient? So for me, I'm in this process now, and this is, of course, something I'm grateful to do and something that's been very enjoyable, but nonetheless, something that has been challenging and it's been over a long period of time now. I'm hopefully in a few hours going to be having my dissertation proposal hearing, and I'm hopefully going to have it go well. So I've been working on my dissertation or let's say my doctorate for like five years now. I've already written a certification exam paper a few months ago. And then now this is like the next step. And if I get this dissertation proposal approved later today, I will really be at the next stage of my development in my doctoral studies, which would be great. Um, I actually am completing the 90 credits this semester as well, if all goes well. So I'm moving forward and I was reflecting on that process and one of my advisors who I really appreciate and admire, I've been working together for years, called me last night and just, you know, said, is there any questions you have? And, you know, how do you feel about tomorrow, whatever? And also sort of mentioned that, you know, we, we've been through a lot of different rounds of revisions on this proposal. And that's a part of the process. But, you know, she understands that it's been it's been a long time I've been working on this. And she meant it to, to be, I think, to be complimenting, to be encouraging. And it came from a very good place. And it got me thinking like, yeah, you know, she's right. And I don't necessarily stop enough to think about what it took or what it has taken for me to do this, because I think for me, I've generally looked at it more so as a gift than as, let's say, a burden. And I think at times it has been burdensome. That's a part of you know most processes in life. I love teaching. I love learning. I enjoy my time with my advisors. I've enjoyed most of my classes. So it's felt overall, and I'm very grateful for this, it's felt something, it's felt like something I've just cultivated a lot of gratitude for. And uh, that being said, you know, this dissertation proposal process has not been easy, right? It's roughly like a 35 page paper. Um, it's very academic writing, which is not writing that I necessarily find super easy. It takes a lot of work for me. It takes a lot of time and discipline to read to create the paper, right? To then revise it and be responsive to my advisor's suggestions. So it's been a process. And I think a part of any process, even one like the way I just hopefully characterize this process, that's characterized by such positivity and such such help, right? Still at times, you need to cultivate resilience. Even just getting 90 credits, like there were nights where I didn't want to go to class, of course. I've always worked and gone to school. I've always worked really at least one and a half to two jobs and gone to school and done this. So I, as I reflect on that, and I'm hopefully again, a few hours reaching sort of a milestone, right? You know, if all goes well, God willing. Um, and I just thought it's interesting to, to consider how there's have been difficulties, especially in this part of the process. There have been difficult times, difficult moments for me. And I think we talk a lot about on the podcast and I, you know, think about this a lot myself, you know, everything is kind of just a process, right? That's one of the things I grabbed from Albert Camus, the myth of Sisyphus. There's only one end, as we kind of repeatedly say here at Memento Mori. And that's really important to understand that we're constantly in the process. And then it's like, all right, this is a 
kind of like a personal development cliche at this point, right? But love the process. Yeah, but sometimes you're not going to love the process, right? And sometimes we have to work to love the process and we should do that. But sometimes it is what it is. And you're in a moment where you just need to be resilient and disciplined and there isn't this sense of love, right? Maybe on the other side of it, there is. But I think it's naive to think that even in loving relationships, you're going to love the person all the time to the same degree at the same time. No, it's not going to happen. People are going to let you down. And we have to, because we love them, keep that goal in mind that, that we want to be loving with them and move past the moments of anger, of disappointment, and what have you, right? So on that note, I want to kind of jump into a quote from Epictetus that I think really applies to this nicely. And again, to apply it more to the spring cleaning, maybe the question for yourself or the ailment is, you feel like you lack resilience or you feel like you you quit on things when they get difficult. You feel like you don't give things the time, the intention, the energy they deserve to kind of see them through. Because when there are accidents, mistakes, misfortunate or unfortunate, unfortunate events, you quit, you back out, right? So let's talk about this from Epictetus a little bit here. This is from a great piece called The Enchiridion. We've referenced this before. I'm looking at it on a free online PDF version. So I do suggest if you wanna learn more about Epictetus, Go online, type in the Enchiridion by Epictetus PDF. You'll find it really, it's like the, I think the fourth or fifth link down on Google. It's a really easy and accessible, or it's an easy uh, source to access. And I also do think it's very clear in terms of how he's writing, right? So this is number 10. I love this. With every accident, ask yourself what abilities you have for making a proper use of it. So again, I want to stick with my little connection here to my dissertation proposal process. I messed up. I handed in drafts that weren't great initially. There were certain logistical things I was unaware of. I don't know. I had to get it in at a certain date. I wasn't told. So like I had to rush and I should have asked. I should have been more inquisitive, right? That being said, I also made mistakes that were just like when looking back, like there were mistakes that were just not excusable. Like I should have caught certain things and I didn't, right? So I made mistakes. Now accidents, I think we could say are well, let's make a distinction just for the sake of this conversation, right? A mistake is something you do. An accident is something that is caused by or is somehow more related to something out of your control, just for the sake of this argument, right? So I made mistakes and there were also accidents. And I really had to live this to an extent. I could have quit, right? A lot of people too finished, not a lot of people, but like it's a, not uncommon. It's a common enough thing that people finish 90 credits and then don't write the dissertation. They stay all but dissertation, which is sort of like a nomenclature to describe this part of the process for their whole lives. I've met people in their 50s who went to great institutions who are ABD, right? So this dissertation proposal is, a you know, I don't know if they wrote proposals, obviously, but clearly by the name, it's a part of this dissertation process, right? So I could have just said, all right, this is too much. I don't want to deal with this. I could have quit. Right. I could have handed in other versions that were not really responsive to what my advisors said. Right. To even schedule the hearing, it's sort of like, and I maybe I'm wishing this into existence, but to schedule a hearing to me sort of implies that you'll get more feedback, but it implies you'll get an opportunity to at least defend the idea. So that at that point, at least the ideas are defensible, right? Like, which is to say you have a coherent set of ideas. So that's a good thing, right? It's moving forward ultimately. And I think also even the whole process of revising and especially revising when the revisions are coming from someone else, right? Asks us to make use of what our mistakes were. And I think the notion of revising is one we can really apply 
when we think about the importance of a self-writing practice or even the importance of a daily nighttime reflection practice. That's us revising ourselves. What accidents happened today? What mistakes did I make today? So that's even the question before the question of what abilities do I have to make proper use of it? We have to figure out what the hell happened first. So we'd like to be perhaps starting a habit of revising. Again, kindly from Epictetus's perspectives, but perspective, but we need to be good at revising. Right? Then we cultivate abilities and we cultivate the capacity to discern or to tell what our abilities are in the face of acknowledging these mistakes and these accidents. Right? And even the practice of this, I think, is really powerful. And this is from Aristotle, right? We learn by doing. So do you do this when things go wrong, again, an accident, or you mess up, a mistake? Do you even ask this question or these questions, right? I think the main question here would be, how do I make use of this accident or this mistake? How do I get something good out of this? And it's not naive. It's not saying this thing is good because sometimes accidents aren't good. Sometimes mistakes are not good. I would say a lot of the time they're not good. But we can acknowledge that, right? This is bad. This is not an optimal situation. Here's why. Here's how this happened, whatever. But then the next question might be, right? How do I get something? How do I get something out of this or some things out of this? That's making proper use. And of course, for the Stoic, and we'll see this point raised in the next sentence, I think, the only thing we really want to think about, okay, not only thing, that's not a good word to use. The Stoics also wanted us to be very active in the world, right? But the main thing we want to concern ourselves with would be our ethical and moral development. Are we living by those Stoic virtues? So again, we're not doing it. We're not making proper use of things with the primary aim of like getting status or getting wealth, right? Or getting approval from others. Those might be secondary aims. And a lot of times those are good secondary aims, right? We would like people to feel good about us. We would like to have maybe a position of power so we could exercise that power in a way that is in accordance with those four virtues. We would like to have some money, right? Of course, those are not bad things, I don't think. And I think the Stoics would agree, but those are not the main things. And when we confuse them and we think they're the main things, we run into problems, right? But we should pursue those things. How we pursue them is very important and that, and that we have them in, a, in the right order of priorities is also very important, right? So we're saying to make proper use of it, we're keeping that kind of Stoic lens that I just described in our minds. Right, And we talked a little bit yesterday about Pema Trodron, sort of with that story of the hermit, right? Seeing life as sort of a training ground for virtue. In that case, it was patience. So this rude person is giving me an opportunity to train in this virtue. That virtue will make me a better person. Here we are. I'm making use of the situation. Now I give some examples very much grounded in real life, right? Which I love about Epictetus. If you see an attractive person, you will find that self-restraint is the ability you have against your desire. If you are in pain, you will find fortitude or strength. If you hear unpleasant language, you will find patience. And thus habituated, the appearances of things will not hurry you away along with them. That last line, I think, makes the lines before it, makes the lines before it really powerful. What we're, what we're avoiding here is not the acknowledgement of someone's physical beauty, Right? We're not avoiding the acknowledgement of pain being a real thing. We're not avoiding the fact that people use unpleasant language. We're characterizing these things, but we're not getting carried away. Right? Hurry you a long way with them means you hear unpleasant language and you return it right away. You, you use, then 
you use unpleasant language. Instead of teaching this person maybe in a kind way that that's not the type of language they should use in this context, or that's not the type of language that you would like to hear. Here's why. Right? Pain. Again, you acknowledge the pain. I'm in pain. But again, you could turn something or you can make something out of that pain. You could turn it into something that serves you. Think about how simple this is to understand with the body, right? You want to get strong, it's going to take some tension. You want to get stronger, you have to increase that tension. Right? Getting good at physical tasks usually involves some pain, some soreness is a good way of putting it too, right? But in a literal sense, our bodies get sore if we allow them to replenish and we give it the proper rest and restoration and nourishment, we literally get stronger. Right, so there's a great sort of analog there between the, the soul and the body. And then I think this, uh, this idea of the attractive person, right? The prettiest people do the ugliest things. Great quote from a Kanye West song, right? Now, I think that's really important from a Stoic perspective. You see someone beautiful and it's such a fallacy to assume that something else is right about them, Right? And I think that's why that quote, the prettiest people do the ugliest things, is so important. It reminds us that physical beauty does not connect to philosophical or moral or ethical beauty. And that, again, for the Stoic, is the type of beauty, that moral ethical beauty, that actually matters the most. Right? So we're not carried away to fall in love with someone, for example, right, or to be desirous of someone only because of the fact that we find them to be physically attractive. We restrain ourselves to acknowledge this is one aspect that, again, one aspect of their personhood, that is, that is not the most important. Right? And even desire, too, is something for the Stoics and for the Buddhists, a lot of Buddhists, let's say, we need to keep in, keep under control. Right? We have to keep in mind that desire cannot rule our lives. We have to control our desires. Our desires cannot control us. So I think he uses just that everyday example uh, of not getting carried away and then assuming someone attractive is also, again, philosophically, let's say for lack of a better way of putting it, attractive, right? And then we restrain ourselves so we're not desirous at every glance we get of someone who's attractive. And another idea we want to pull from this quote too, I think wonderfully that works super well with Aristotle is when he says, and thus habituated. You have to do this habitually. You don't work out once, get sore, and then get strong. doesn't happen to go back to that body analogy, right? You have to train these things. I think Pema Tordron would agree with this, right? When we see life as a training ground, it will offer us these opportunities. And then we sometimes should give ourselves on our own volition a chance to train these things. To, tra to train turning pain into strength, to train controlling our desires in various ways, to train on our own volition once again, hearing something we don't like and being able to remain calm and patient in that moment. So I think we get a lot of this quote and back to our pathology, right? Maybe you're someone who quits when things get difficult in certain things in life and you want to stop doing that. Try offering to yourself on your own volition challenges that'll help you build that resilience. So Epictetus here I think is giving us an idea, right? You have an accident or you make a mistake, okay? Ask this question, how do I make proper use of it? He's giving us examples and he's also giving us some very practical how. Create habits, 
and I'm introducing the idea maybe of don't let don't wait only for the world, which it will, uh, to offer you these opportunities to control your desire, to make strength out of pain, to be in unpleasant situations and remain patient. Try to, on your own volition, create little habits, daily, weekly, what have you, that cultivate this ability. This is a great ability. To reference a little bit of something we had in an episode recently, this is, of course, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And like I said, sometimes you give yourself lemons so you can practice that skill. Hope this is helpful. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.